Welcome to another DCAST. My name is Bevan Tonks. I'm an independent graphic designer based in Auckland, and I'm joined today by John O'Sega, founder and principal of Voice, a branding agency based in Melbourne and here in Auckland as well. This episode, we'll be discussing one of a trio of divisive dinner conversations, not politics or religion, but the value of design. John, thanks for joining me today. Great, Bevan. Good to be here. Thanks, mate. Yeah. Hey, before we get into it, I'm quite interested to discuss our backgrounds a little bit, when we may have first noticed design as a tool of influence. Yeah, okay. Whether I knew it was a tool of influence or not, I don't really know. But I, from my point of view, it was just a natural progression from school. It was always something I was interested in. I was never interested in illustration or being an artist. It was definitely design. I think it was just, that's what I wanted to do. You know, it's quite obvious. And I went to Wellington Polytechnic of all places a long time ago now. But yeah, I think it was just something that I was always in me and I was always interested in. So I'm not sure about you, but that's where kind of, it was just natural to do that. I wasn't much good at anything else. <laughs> that's, that's where it came from. But it was, yeah, yeah. I think when I did it, it was, there wasn't many, I mean, Wellington Polytechnic existed. I think Wellington School of Design and there wasn't really it was quite unknown it wasn't really a thing like my dad didn't know what I did you know I tried to explain what I did he had no idea what it was but it was it wasn't the normal career at that time put it that way no I'm not sure about yourself where did you go you went to I went to AUT oh okay when I was at high school it was we did art design was a module but it wasn't it wasn't really design as we know it now. It was it was really a bridging yeah. subject between art and tech drawing. But all I knew was that I loved like the early nineties Rolling Stones and then there was this editorial stuff. And now as you know, as an adult or as a designer I know that it's editorial, but then it was just this amazing playfulness, you know. And branding, I looking back, I think it was, you know, at high school there we everyone had these canvas bags, like the kind of like a raw army canvas, and you just draw on them with vivid and people would badge them out with, you know, their favorite bands. It was mostly heavy metal bands where the logos that were very identifiable consistent across their albums and everyone would badge those on their bags kind of bands they're into so it became this kind of like walking you know self-identity and I was like looking back it's like well that's that was actually probably my first exposure to branding you know because you could replicate those icons or those logos yeah, yeah. quite quickly and then suddenly you're a part of a tribe and there's this kind of like following you meet like-minded people and it's kind of amazing in that regard I think. I mean I think when I took it up I mean it was a graphic design and that I was interested in graphic design it wasn't until the mid-90s that I became aware of uh, more of the word brand, I, I would imagine, and connecting that to graphic design. For me, it was two separate things that happened over time. You know, thinking back to the late 80s when I was in design school, it was a completely different world. You know, it really was. There was no internet. It was about graphic design. And I think I was probably inspired by identity manuals, identity systems, you know, with Gus Vanderoa design, you know, simplified communication. It was really new in those days. Um, mm. And that whole kind of connecting things and creating order was really where my passion for it arrived, like seeing great corporate identity manuals and those types of things, doing the, you know, branding for telecom and... Yeah. <laughs> those kind of organizations and it was just that ability to create order and to create to take an idea and make it through into a system that people could implement and use that's really where my love for branding probably came from and that is systemization of design you know like yeah disorder kind of creating that kind of kite mark at the top that feeds all the rest below i mean that's still a real cornerstone of where we're at today but around that though everything's completely different now eh? yeah i think it is different but i think you're right it's the driver i mean i look up what i do today and it's really the same thing 
it's a lot more complicated, but it's just that order and that clarity and lining things up so that they're neat and they're tidy. I guess that's the driver, but you like things to be, we're working on a brand at the moment and being a big project, it's a complicated project and trying to keep the order is where we always come back to all the time. So I think that sensitivity carries through, whether it was in 1989 or 92 or whether it's 2020, it's still that driving thing to create this thing and to create order out of chaos. Mm visually um, which is yeah when you think about it that way it's the same driver just a different time and a much more complicated world and i think if you imagine branding like as a pyramid you know the keystone at the top and then obviously yeah. all your touch points that foot of the pyramid over time has just got wider and wider yeah. that's where the complexity comes in now is you know you can dip in anywhere in that pyramid now but that broadness of where that top point has to relate to or has to have some connection to is just so far reaching now it's, it's, that's yeah. where you said before the complexity is is far greater now but i think that's part of the problem you know um, and you look at why people i mean i don't i look around the industry of what people do. I made a decision some years ago to try not to promise things I couldn't do. And I, I know what I can do. And what I can do is basically those craft skills and that kind of curiosity to create order and to have the guys here looking at some old brand identity manuals that we had. And that's really where we still are, if that makes sense. It's mm. the same principle of creating this work that you can then, I always remember at design school, Mark Cleverly telling us there's two camps of people. There are either creative people that want to be artists and do their own thing, or there are creative people that want to go work the industry for it or a corporate yeah. world. And they're yeah. very different, very different drivers. You know, ours is, it is about helping the business world do what they need to do. And that creating that clarity to allow them to be able to take their brand and project it or use it in the right way is really, it's the same thing, just a different a different day. I think, you know, like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but my feeling is that today, design's a little bit more obvious to people now. Like I'm, and I'm just talking in the broader yeah. sense, you know, yeah. people like Apple and, yeah. you know, Sonos and, and these other brands just on a, on a pure tech level, you know, consumer goods, people understand that the design has a point of value in those categories. And that's the interesting thing, eh? Like where the audience is getting a little bit more astute now and there's sense of the benefit yeah. of it, but it's still led by an aesthetic engagement still. And that all those layers behind that are the still where we need to still try to reinforce that where the value comes in the process. It is the norm. I mean, everyone expects it. You just expect that it will be well designed. Well, some things aren't, but most you expect things to be designed well, whereas it didn't used to be the case. You know, it was unusual what we did. Only certain companies did it, but now everyone, you need to be on that pace to be in business. I'm just thinking, you know, you mentioned Sonos. I went and bought a new Sonos product yesterday, of all things. And you look at that, everything from the premise of the whole idea of Sonos through to the mark, through to the packaging, through to it. You know, I pulled out its instruction manual. It's two pages, yeah. two icons, and it just works. You know, it's uh, to get to the point where Apple or Sonos, where the experience is just so perfect, that really appeals to people like me because it's what we're trying to do. So few companies get to that point where it is so nailed, whether it's on your social tiles or whether it's in your, whatever it might be, you've got to the point where you have the experience, everything is one and it's all got this beautiful design aesthetic or design point of view woven through it. It's quite beautiful. That's really what we're aiming for. I think mm. from, from my point of view, it's still the kind of the holy grail you chase. You know, we've launched several brands in the last month and you just want them to be perfect. That really is the driver. It really is. That's why you get pissed off when they don't do it how you. I had an email come through this morning from a client saying, check this out. Is it on brand? And straight away, no, 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 no. You want to get hold of it and do it yourself? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Interesting one. That is a difficulty though, way. Eh? Like we're, yep. we're on the other side on something like a consumer product that's well-designed has a DNA of design. People are yep. willing to 
premium for it because it comes with that on the flip side of trying to sell the process everything behind that yeah. you know that's yeah. the intangible stuff i guess that's the difficulty at times of understanding how we can create value on the process that leads up to that aesthetic craft like you said before the craft is a given we should all be doing yeah. the great yeah you know but there's a whole heap of process that leads up to that point then where the bulk of the time is in getting clients and the public to understand that the value is in the process because it leads to the aesthetic but the value is really there you know yeah i mean and at voice we made a very conscious decision some years ago and it came down to really this idea of me saying what i was good at where i felt comfortable working i'm never going to be an ad boy it just isn't going to work because I feel uncomfortable, I second guess myself. Whereas in this space, I'm good. So we made a decision that we'd focus, basically we said we stopped at guidelines, which is a good idea. So you create this strategic work and you create this name and this brand and you stop it and you hand that over. It's then what happens to it afterwards that often is the disappointing bit because it often doesn't work how you think it might work or someone takes your work and executes it in a strange way. That's just part of the game, I suppose though. Not everyone's a Sonos, not everyone's an Apple. I think in most corporates here, they'll work with us to a point and and then they need to be able to take it and other people need to do the work and that's something that we struggle with is there a is there an overlap for you in that though like we're because i mean i like the idea of in-house teams is garnering traction it's not going away and it's yeah. just part of the course now we have to work with those in-house teams you know with that point of delivery like do you have an overlap to help indoctrinate those teams into that work to help them get had, yeah we have several ways and some are more successful than others it depends on the organization i mean a lot of the work we do is out of a change budget so people usually come to us and there's often change in an organization and there's budget attached to that and that budget can be dealt with and for and we can solve the problem. Once you've finished that piece of budget and you're into a situation where they're in everyday life and they're trying to make one little piece of work work, it, whether it goes to an in-house team or it goes to five different companies or a social media company or ad agency, that's where it starts to, it's just much more complicated to execute these days. You think back 20 years ago, it was easier to keep your hands around it, much easier. You had a few brochures. There was no such thing as the internet. There was no such thing as social, you know, maybe a TBC. I actually remember in 2001 rebranding farmers, of all people, that purple thing they have now from the red. It was a pretty simple handover. I briefed the agency. I think it was Ogilvy at the time. And that was it. That was the handover. And Ogilvy executed it pretty well into press and catalogs. There wasn't mm. a lot of other things to do, whereas today, handing over a brand is often a, a big job a big job and it gets lost the other aspect of that is the traditional marketing managers gone or is going so you're often working with a comms person or a ceo so there's a lot of structure gone out of the industry which is just how it happens i guess do you see the opportunity though for us you know in trying to not take back control because that's the wrong approach to yeah. it because it's an anti-democratic attitude towards design but if there is a handover period can we not try and add value to ourselves being in mm -hmm. there and having a guardianship at the very least to act as a sounding board because yeah. if it's reliant on the market managers or brand managers you know we can be an asset to them to help them manage all those different channels because you know the complexity is not just on our part you know it's, it's on the other side too you know there's yeah. so complex for marketing managers and brand managers to have their brands live these days yeah. it's just it's ridiculous so isn't there an opportunity for us to add value I there? think so. something i've been working quite hard on the last year in the last four or five projects we've done we've probably done them all slightly differently but making sure you sell that in when you go in to get your initial budget approved you discuss the handover how it might happen that's really important so we've begun actually having a yes we can quantify this piece of work but then at that point where we need to hand this on to you 
how does that look? How can we stay involved in a respectful way? And how can we make sure that that's going to benefit you? Because often they don't think about that bit. They think, oh, it'll be fine. But it actually mm-hmm. isn't fine because I think, to your point, we have a responsibility to help them make sure this works. So we've just launched a brand the other day and we've actually put a process in their in-house design team of review for the next two to three months. It just comes down to the organization, really, and how open they are to working with you. Often, from our point of view, it can be, that's interesting. They see us sometimes just as a front-end specialist. Mm. Certainly, yeah, it's always different, but you're completely right. We need to make sure, and we want to make sure that what we do works for the organization. Yeah, 100%. I mean, like when you buy a, a car or something, there's a service plan that goes with it, you know, to make mm. sure it's run. Yeah. Within that period, you know, that period of handover, it came straight out of the factory to ensure that it's still doing what it's promised, you know, that so the process exists in the real world. We just got to try and reframe it. And like you said, right from the outset, discuss that, that, that yeah. service support plan with them to say, like, we finish a job and hand you an asset folder and a deck of guidelines that's the start of it because you know you would have known too when you create brands you can create some guidelines but if you took a review at 12 months later you would see that it's probably taken on a bit of a life of its own an unexpected life of its own and there's, there's no allowance from the outset for that happy organic growth of it you know i mean i think i think you've got to also not underestimate what you do deliver to them most of the work we hand on people execute quite well to be honest i'm quite proud of a lot of the work they do they do a really really good job the other factor that can in, in most of the work i do is at a ceo and board level and it's actually quite amazing how many times we work we just launched to a trans tasman forestry company it was just with the ceo it wasn't wow. launched to the elt till two days before it launched to the rest of the company and i find that happens a lot more where I, I end up working with a CEO and maybe an ELT and mm. actually doesn't touch marketing because the CEO is so concerned with getting some bigger strategic. I mean, the one I did just before lockdown, you know, the shareholders were involved. They're out of the US. It was a much higher job than the marketing team. And often these days, I'm finding much more of a CEO being very interested in this piece of work. So we're having to figure out ways to segue and to engage a marketing team that may feel left out. That it happens a lot, especially on a larger two-year project that is a real organization change project. So a lot of the work I now do is moved out of that basic design into more strategic and strategy and around the boardroom. So you're really looking about the purpose of the business. In fact, so much of our work is probably two thirds of the work is lining up that bit. And then the, the identity or the brand bit is the 30% at the end of the project. So we have two year projects and that is a huge amount of dialogue with boards, with chairmen, with CEOs. So that's an interesting one from a design agency or an agency that's about design moving into a space that's much more about clarity and strategy and strategic kind of directions for companies, shareholder returns, those types of things. So that can also be a, a tricky one for us <laughs> is that we're often got we've got the ear of the ceo but not the ear of the marketing team or we are seen to be the ceo's thing and then we have to then make friends with the marketing team or the, whoever it might be so it's, that's a fascinating one too just talk a bit more there again because you've mentioned before about in our chats prior to this about design transformation that business side of it right yeah so, like what kind of you know give you got any examples you could talk about yeah i mean we, we work with a huge kind of forestry company, probably they called it in January last year. Mm-hmm. And, and we launched it just before, the day before lockdown. Often the question that comes to us is that we can't say what we do. That's a pretty fundamental question for an organization that can't write down what it does or tell its people what it does. In this case, they bought acquisitions all around Australia and New Zealand. There was disharmony there. They couldn't tell people easily what they did. So we're called in to go right back into the business to start really having a good look strategically about what it is they do. Pretty fundamental, really. It's not unusual 
for us to be called to do that. So we can spend up to six to eight months working that through with the board and the CEO and an ELT potentially to get to the point where they're comfortable. And that's usually going hand in hand with a change project or a, a market shift internally that they've got. So that kind of work is really where we've ended up moving into. Now that work does set up and drive the brand, but like I say, at 6% of the project could be that piece of work. Um, and it's happening more and more. People coming to us and they actually can't say what they do or why they do it or why they're good, you know, which is a fascinating question (laughs) and one you think they'd have nailed. I have a proposal tomorrow to a company and they can't say what they do. Yeah, that that just more to do with your progression of businesses where they change and alter and they lose track of maybe where they started, but they're fundamentally different now anyway. And yeah, isn't this just the bread and butter for us is to go in and in essence, if we go back to our start of our conversation, it's order out of disorder, you know? It is. It's definitely order out of disorder, yeah. But it really comes down to most businesses. I mean, if you think about brand, is brand about customers. So many businesses are internally focused or focused at just doing what they do and it works. They don't often think about the customer and that's a, you know, you think of brands like Apple and Sonos, they're all about the customer because they're very consumer facing, which is what a brand should do. But so many organizations are inward focused and probably exist and are successful despite themselves. And it's not until that maybe that's disrupted or they acquire something and they have to then start to talk about it that they aren't able to do so. So there's usually, uh, they're usually quite happy plodding along, making good money and good return. Then all of a sudden something happens whereby they need to, either the market changes or they acquire things or something happens. They have to then start talking to customers Mm. or to their staff. And that's when they start to go, oopsie, how can we explain this well? And that is every day comes across our desk. So even though we're creatives and we're designers, it goes back to making things tidy and sensible. And it's not rocket science, but it's an idea of order. It's the same principle, just transferred into a more of a, a strategic platform than a visual platform. And that is core brand strategy, right? Yeah, it's a brand so strategy. Yeah, you know. you've got to sit at the table with those guys, and 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 you're delivering brand strategy. Do they see a difference in value from that to your, you know, your aesthetic output? Do they see it as one value or part of the one process? And yeah, it's an they very much buy one process, but they buy that process. And that process is usually paid for out of a change process. Mm-hmm. But the money for budget for change is often there. They definitely see it as one. What they don't see is the implications afterwards, particularly if they haven't got a formal marketing function or they have multiple agencies to control. More and more, we see the marketing role is stripped out of organizations. There are still some that have it, but less and less marketing managers for us to work to. Who would normally do the legwork and the prep work for us? I can remember the old days, you'd have a market, oh, I'll go and see the CEO about that. They'd go and do that prep work for you and they'd have a marketing plan. But these days that's gone. Uh, well, not everywhere, but a lot of the people we see, it's gone. But you know, going back to your point, they do see it as the same thing. They do see it as valuable. They essentially see it as like clarity across their proposition, who they are, what they do, why they do it, and how they express it into their brand and onto their kind of master kind of high-level document. They definitely see it as one thing, and they they buy that. And that's what we do. That's, that's what we do these days. But it's driven by that same idea when I first began this of making order and clarity and making sure that things work for consumers. I think that you've got to have the acknowledgement that what the work we do is so not about the organization. It's about their customers. And that's a big shift for many companies these days to realize it actually isn't about them. Yeah. For me personally, I've always found the values of trying to ensure people understand that the process leading up to execution is where the investment is, you know, and understanding yeah. that time and the process, the due diligence, the strategy, even the craft stage, you know, the output stage, all of that is all incredibly valuable part mm-hmm. of the 
process. And I don't know if you, I'd be interested to hear what you think as well, but I always found it really hard when you go into sell and you talk to them because you can't compare apples to apples because, you know, if we go back to what we discussed earlier, the problems are so complex nowadays. It's very hard to go, oh, look, here's a cost for doing a brand and you'll get X and Y out of it and it's going to take this long. You actually kind of have to almost invest upfront some time to understand the problem. And then when you dig into that, then you kind of uncover a lot more complexity, which then they might not be tuned with. Then comes the conversation of understanding or you know, conveying to them the value on, well, you asked us this and you've got your focus on the output, but there's a huge legwork behind this. And that's yeah. part of the process. And that's the intangible side and the thing you'll never see, but it's where all the investment's probably most well spent. You know? Yeah, I mean, I think business do see it as a need. Definitely what you're talking about. They know they need to line this up. They know they need to have a strong brand. They definitely see all that. It's just, yeah, I think as you were saying that, I was thinking, you know, what we do isn't rocket science. But what I think what people like, and this goes back to why we do what we do, we have an ability, and I often just people say, why am I still here even doing this work? I just have an ability to see through the mayhem and to see a clear path and point of view. And that is really what I guess we have as creatives. We have that ability to see the order, to see the way forward, to see where we should go. And it's really getting getting along that line and bringing them through that line to get to a point where that clarity is there and that ability to express is relevant, clear, competitive and wanted. Because when it all comes together, like take the example of Sonos, when it comes together, it's just a symphony. Mm -hmm. Everything works, you know, and that's really the whole the grail we're seeking for. I think the thing we struggle with sometimes is the aesthetic on those larger projects. You're constantly trying to champion the aesthetic always because that's what we're hardwired to do. You know, it's always about making sure it looks amazing. You're constantly trying to champion that. And it's always about zigging and zagging and two steps forward, six steps backwards. And sometimes what comes out isn't perfect. And this has been, I guess I've been talking to some of the older creatives in the country who do work on those bigger projects. It's about the strategic piece of work. And what pops out at the end maybe isn't as perfect as you want. But it's not necessarily perfect. It's got compromised. You know, it's been bashed around a little bit along the way. But what came out was the best you could possibly bring out. And that's probably where it's hard sometimes is that it's not how you wanted it. It's not how you envisaged it at the beginning. But after two years of being knocked around and compromised and pulled about, what pops out isn't always as perfect. But yeah, I guess you'd hope that everyone always views design, you know, in context as well. Yeah. Because yeah. on one hand, you stick caught up in the pure beauty expression and I have an absolute place for that you know design's a spec yeah, yeah. not everyone needs a deep dive branding some people just need a beautiful yeah. solution yeah. to simple yeah. problem but you'd hope that everything's viewed in context so if you say you know, you're saying that you know the design is sometimes compromised but surely within the context of where you're operating and where that brand's about to live surely it's evolved and better oh, and yeah. harder than it, yeah. than it was before and possibly better than its competitors so therefore you have achieved you know yeah. a aesthetical oh. achievement in that regard because you've elevated it it's yeah. sure it's not going to compete against a gallery identity or a no. clothing brand but that's not the point that's not how design works you know i think that sometimes that gets lost a little bit yeah and i think to, to your point everything we do is great you know i'm proud of it all it's just that i guess you're just hardwired always because you want things to be just that you want things to be just so and nothing we turn out is not right it's great you know but you always think oh maybe there was an iteration of that that was better and you just have that when I, mean, I think how i am in my home you know there's that drive to make things perfect, that drives to make things beautiful. It just exists as a core value of that, not just order and clarity, but also beauty and kind of aesthetic. And I often look around at some of the things that people do and they're amazing, they're beautiful. You know, you look at the Sonos, keep picking on Sonos, but it's easiest one to pick on right now. There's nothing amiss in there. It just is a perfect storm, really. All our work's great, but just often you know that you presented probably five iterations ago was a little bit better.
<laughs> yeah. It's just the life of a designer. Right? It's just when you look at some of the products we buy and stuff these days, you know, you probably can't imagine what the other five iterations prior to that were. Before. <laughs> quite amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing that I think we, we do forget sometimes, you know, and I'm, I'm guilty of it as well, that you, you can go and look at this other projects and marvel at the execution and stuff and forget sometimes that the context is the key, um, you know, quantifier. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah. And I believe personally that by and large, what we're doing is exceeding all the categories. You see the work that comes out the best and so forth and other awards around the world that in those categories, they're just elevating all the time, which makes our job harder, you know, when we yeah, start to go. It is, yeah. Hopefully clients are seeing that too. You know, clients like you're more working with CEOs, you know, I'm working with marketing teams, which are well, kind of a combination of marketing and brand yeah. teams and some board level stuff. But you hope, because they're buying these products too, they're seeing it. So their appreciation of the value is coming through the aesthetic value. So hopefully, you know, at times they're willing to take more risks with it. Oh, I think so. Yeah. And I think we often have a point of view as well. You know, I mean, I mentioned like CEOs, they're not visual people, they're not creative people, but I often find they have such, they actually have quite a sophisticated sense of what they want. I'm thinking about a company the last year where the CEO was quite happy to entertain a kind of a pinky color for her brand, which was, was an engineering type organization. You know, they're quite happy to kind of want to entertain the new, want to change the, the norm, want to actually push things out a little bit. So I think people are quite sophisticated because we're exposed to so much. I think everyone's level is in expectations increased about why design's there and what design can do. I think that's great because it just plays straight into our kind of what we do. You could yeah. argue that true value in our relationships with clients is actually based on trust. It's not necessarily just the process or the outcome, yeah. but the trust that will honor the agreement and put them in a better place than yeah. we Meet them. You know, there's a, I heard a designer podcast the other day and he mentioned his philosophy to design was a combination of surgeons, ethos, and Boy Scouts. You know, Boy Scouts uh, leave things better than you found them, and surgeons uh, do no harm. You know, so <laughs> I, I love yeah. that idea because if you stick to that, then you're always going to be elevating those problems and elevating those. I think being my age and doing this for 40 years, you, you are in a good position where people do come to you because of what you've done. You know, I'm, I'm fortunate. But I think the point I wanted to make is that when people come to us, they'll go, yeah, can you do this? I know you can do that. You've done that. You've done this. And you go, yep, okay, no problem. Let's go. You still reach a point in the relationship where you're working on this new brand or it might be is that they're going to have to trust you. We had a client in here a little while ago. We had a meeting and we're meeting with the head of marketing team actually but the CEO decided to fly out because they were having a sneaky peek at what was going to be presented to him the following week and he came up and had a look and he was in the meeting and he didn't really get it if that makes sense halfway through the meeting they took a break and had a coffee I left in the room with him and I said what do you reckon about it mate he comes oh, I don't know might be alright he says I'm kind of 70% there I said oh yeah cool he said, so what what do you need now? He said, well, I need to know it's right. I said, well, that's why you hired me, mate, because the other 30%, I'm telling you it's right. And he said, okay, fine. That trust is really important. They hire us based off our track records and they have to pretty much trust us because they don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, but often they will rely on me to say, is it going to work? And I'll go, yeah, it'll work. Trust me, it'll work. And it does. But that's a real delicate. You don't want to be too arrogant and you don't want to be too bossy. But you know, when they're spending the money, the time investment and the money investment and what hanging on this piece of work, I find myself in a position that they're really hiring my years of experience and that ability to push them a little bit further than they would go without being an arrogant person. But they do rely on you to hold their hand and say, we'll be okay, because they just don't know. Mm. You know, and I find that more and more and more, as we certainly with larger jobs, they'll have an opinion, they'll boss you around and they'll say, well, what do you reckon, Jono? And they go, yep, fine, we'll work. And they go, okay, off we go. It's just quite nice. <laughs> that's the trust factor you know i've always stuck by yeah. that no matter what you present someone it's not what they thought they yeah. were going to 
you know, and, yeah. and you have to switch to a coaching mode and try and understand their own reservations to whatever you've done, but then coach them through the process and, and hopefully then that value and the trust and the value of what you've done and your track record all culminates and then getting them on board with where it is. But it's giving them that, that time and that space in the process to allow them to catch up with us as well. And that's, yeah. you know, that, yeah. that you know, democratic view to the process that probably needs to come in more as things get more complicated, we need to be more open about including them earlier in the process as well. I mean, you would have probably seen that at doing it board level. You have to be a bit more transparent about how you do things. You know, I've found that as well, that you give a little bit of over, you know, in order to yeah. gain trust and take them on the journey with you. And I think that's where they can truly see the value in the design because if they can see a little bit of that, of that happening in real time, you know, I think they yeah. get it and they, and they think- get enough of a feeling for it to then build that trust. And it just starts to kind of, you know, that relationship system. I think you're right. That respect and trust, you can't underestimate it. You really can't. I mean, I think when I first started talking about doing this with you, I was talking about, you know, as a kid, I would, you know, wasn't particularly good at school, but I was good at art, you know. I never imagined that I'd be sitting at a board table and people would take me seriously around that board table. For design to have got me there and to got me to get me at that table with a point of view that's respected, I'm pretty proud of that, you know. Because the other thing is, it's when I started this, when we first started doing late 80s, design was a cool, airy-fairy thing that sat on the edge. You know, people didn't talk about it in that situation. But to be able for me to take what I do into a boardroom and for people to value it and to value the input it might have into their organization, I kind of like that. I like that we've got there because that's why I did this <laughs> at the end of the day was to help business succeed. And that, to me, is a nice place to be. It's taken a while. But you're right. It's about they respect you and they trust you. And they see you as an equal, not as some eerie theory. <laughs> you know, not some like creative kind of random person that's not trying to get at anybody. I'm just saying it's nice that I'm there. I like that because I can affect greater change through design. 100%. I much prefer being on the inside, you know, yeah. of and you're almost creating a team out of yourselves and the key person out there and between yourselves you're doing the project as opposed yeah. to the old process where you take the brief walk away spend a month on it come back present and it's all kind of like detached it's i think it's yeah. just there's nothing there's yeah. no value in that for anyone you know yeah. at least the client but actually moreover for the designers you don't grow you don't learn anything it's all presumptuous uh it's yeah i think it also gets our craft in the right place you know it elevates you know one thing we've always worked tried hard is to extract value from what we do i think what we do as an industry is incredibly valuable and often people would see it as not but you know to get to the place where some of the you see amazing companies around the world that can elevate this to a point where they're rewarded well for their work you know you want to be doing great work you want to have the time to do great work you want to have the people to do great work and i think being able to be in a place where you're rewarded well for that work you know at the same level of a professional service company that's a good place to get to because it elevates what we do as an industry as not just an add-on or a nice to have it's an important part of the conversation that's paid for well that's kind of my ambition as i get later in life i want to do less but do better i think we've worked really hard over the last year in our studio to break that down so that we're project-based and we're fortunate that we can do that but we're now in a situation where we're rolling projects along and we've got time we've got the ability to slow it down we've got the ability to help you know our young guys come on board get pencils out again to get off the mat to start thinking to start creating on paper you know it's nice to be able to 
go back to the old, not the old way, but a more traditional thinking way of exploring ideas rather than just Googling a whole lot of nice things on Pinterest and saying, I'll try that, try that and try that, you know, to really get people to think about the process and the craft. We found it quite enjoyable anyway, to try and pull back some of those more slow ways of working. And yeah. if you want round that point out then you could argue that we're all problem solvers that's why we get into it we've got a we've got a hunger to solve a problem whether it's order disorder or it's fundamental strategic problems or it's you know behavior whatever and the true value i think for the clients is to understand that we can come in and we can solve problems solve the problem that they're facing and we are out of that we will find the best possible solution or best And I think being able to ideate and to articulate that down with a pencil or a pen is really important because that's where the magic happens. The magic doesn't happen Googling a whole of shit on Google Images. It doesn't. You know, I've seen young guys come into our studio from AUT or wherever, and that's what they do. That's, oh, I've got a kind of a a visual diary with a whole of shit stuff stuck in it. You know what I mean? But to be able to read a strategy and to take that and start exploring the idea with a pen and paper, to me, is the way we want to work, is a nice place to go. You know, it just connects you back to what, why you really do this, what you do this for. Mm. Think back to what most of us did at school. We were probably in the, well, my days were in the art room. These days it's a little bit, bit different. There's different names for it. But you, you're usually doing something with a pencil, probably a computer these days. But I think going back to that kind of hands-to-eye thing is really important. So we're playing with that a little bit more. Going back to what I was saying before about handing over a little bit of the process in real time for them to see. Yeah. Yeah. Is it something you duplicate, you know? I mean, it hasn't got to be going back to the old days of, you know, T square and things, but to be able, the ability to ideate and to talk about your ideas and to be able to express it rather than just shortcut it all the time. We're, we're fortunate, you know, that's something we're conscious of and are keen to evolve for today. Mm. Yeah, I don't think we've solved it, but the value of design is, though. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll start on politics and religion next. Maybe they're easier <laughs> subjects to deal with. I could say, Bevan, there isn't probably an answer. But I mean, I think at the end of the day, you know, you've got to find your journey. But I'm pretty happy where we've got to. I'm really happy with the work we do. I'm happy that each day I have to, we have to change a little bit. Someone's told me a while ago that would I retire at 65? And I certainly wouldn't. But it's how do we take, what it, like, I guess, people like myself who are older and then people who are just entering the industry. How can we make that work? You know, people like us, we have a responsibility to stay relevant to be aware and I guess it's interesting how I look at in our own studio how there's people that are in their early 20s and there's me the ability for us to talk under a common language of design you know mm-hmm. or a common driver that we want to create that order or create that beauty or create that system it's the same driver and I think it does bring us together and level us so that we can sit around the table and there's probably a, a 40 age a 40 year gap of age but we're all allowed to talk about the same thing, which is design. Mm. And we're there for the same reason. So that's really nice to know that we can evolve that together. Yeah. No, that, we haven't cracked it, mate, but never mind. Next time, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Part two. Part two. Hey, um, thanks heaps for that. It was a nice chat, eh? No problem, mate. And um, you have a good day, eh? You too, mate. Take care. Talk soon. Bye-bye.